Welcome to the Chantal Hyde Canada's Dating Coach Podcast, where you'll learn to love and be loved. Come understand how powerful you are and share in our common experiences so that we can all grow together. Like Chantal loves to say, let's do this. Hello, Dr. Amanda Hansen. Welcome back, my love. Hello, Chantal. I love your hair. It's so beautiful and curly today. Bring me back to the 60s. Let's do it. So incredible. (laughs) How are you? I'm really, really good. I'm so excited that we're having this conversation. Yes. Okay. So last time we talked, we talked about aging gracefully, by the way, for anybody who's listening for the first time, doesn't know who Miss Dr. Amanda Hansen is. You are a psychologist, psychologist, psychiatrist, psychologist, psychologist. Yes. You are a psychologist and you are niching into midlife women. You call yourself the midlife muse. And we talked last time about aging with grace, forget aging gracefully, aging with grace, like loving the aging process. Yes. I I love that word as opposed to aging gracefully. Aging with grace has a different um, way of approaching the whole entire process from this, not just the physical. I think aging gracefully is like really what we're saying is how do you use the certain creams and look a certain way as opposed to aging with grace is I think an acceptance of what is and an honoring and the spirituality in the aging process, which feels lands differently when you say it that way, for sure. And can I say, I really think that you age more beautifully when you age with grace, because listen, your thoughts are affecting your DNA code. There's, there's no mistake. So when you approach aging as something that you're proud of and you embrace, I really do think you age with more beauty. Oh, absolutely. I would agree with you. Rather than seeing it as something negative that is happening to you, you can see it as something, this is an opportunity for me to grow into another aspect of myself, to learn even more about myself on this journey as I am aging. Rather than the resistance energy, it's like the allowing energy is so much more beautiful. Yeah. And you know what? I just want to give you this opportunity because we're about to head into a different topic, but this being, you know, kind of like your specialty right now, aging with grace. If people want to get your help doing this, how can they find you? The really the best way would be on my website, amandahanson.com, H-A-N-S-O-N.com. And there you can book a free 15 minute discovery call to talk to me about what is available, the programs I have one-on-one support. There's so many options to work with me. That would be really the best way. Just go in there and book a free call. I had a lot of women who loved our conversation about that. Yeah. Yes. So today we're talking about getting to zero fights in your relationship. My husband and I have been together for 17 years. We fought for 10 years. We haven't had a fight in seven years. What brings you to the zero fight table? Mm, I, well, I would definitely say a level of maturity has brought me after 26 years of marriage. I would say that probably 20 of those years, maybe a give or take were in that fighting energy. And what I like to think of it as for myself contextually, and something I talk to my clients about in many different aspects of their, our lives is moving from baby princess energy to queen energy. So I'm so embodied and integrated in the last several years as a queen in all aspects of my life. And the way it translates in my relationships is translated through my communication, which requires a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. Rather than my baby princess who's like, my feelings are hurt. I'm going to pout. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let him guess or figure it out, or I'm going to storm out of the room, or I'm going to get super crazy defensive. It's like the queen in me rises to the occasion and says what she needs to say, which when I was in the baby princess energy, I was like, I'm not going to let him know that that hurt my feelings. How, oh, I would never, or it would be, how dare he say that to me? I'm going to come back at him now. Right. Yeah. So what you describe is like, you know, the, the, the baby princess energy, I call ego. Mm. Ego doesn't want to acknowledge the faults that we have. Ego denies responsibility for our part in conflict. 
Absolutely. And I don't know, I work with couples as well, and I don't know a single couple where when by the time they come to a situation where they're really needing other assistance or guidance, or even in family dynamics, the relationships I see, you know, in our extended family, you know, each person calls with so-and-so did this and we're in this situation and they find it hard when I say, let's pause let's look at the role you both played. You both are 50% of this equation. No, but he cheated on me. There's no way I'm a part of this. Even in those situations, it's so hard for us to hear. How did we get there together? This is not about putting blame on somebody's actions if someone were to cheat on somebody, but it is to say, how did it dissolve to the place that this person actually found that to be a viable option Mm. in a relationship? Yeah. sometimes to, you know, to be fair to those people, sometimes it does have nothing to do with us. The person was very selfish, very self-centered. I want what I want when I want it. And I, I disregard the consequences to anybody else, but sometimes there, there's susceptibility. And that's the word that I use. If, if we are part, you know, again, the 50% of it, If there's, you know, sometimes our partner doesn't want to leave us because they love us, Mm -hmm. but there hasn't been a kind word between us in years. There hasn't been affection in years. There's no uplift anymore. I tear my partner down every day. And then along comes someone else who touches their arm, laughs at their joke and says, you're so much fun to be around. And now my partner is getting a serotonin and dopamine boost somewhere else. And he goes, I feel good over there. Here doesn't feel good, but I love her. I don't want to leave her. I wish this was different. I have a yearning for this relationship to be strong and solid and beautiful, but there's no reward here. And I'm getting a reward there. And then they become susceptible to someone else's attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we think about, you know, I don't want to leave this person because I love them. I I wonder like in that, is there codependency that lives there? Is there fear that lives there? Is there lack of respect that lives there, right? There's so many different layers. And I would also say to the people who, when we say like looking at our ownership in it, when I work with women who end up with men who are constantly betraying them, We look at the qualities of these men and what it is that makes her attracted to a selfish man, a man who who has a wandering eye, right? Because that is the part. It's like, we're not going to place blame on you for the fact that you keep ending up with men who cheat on you, but we are going to examine how you're even attracted to men who are of this nature continually and continually. There's something in there for her to learn and grow in for herself so that she can break that pattern. 100%. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, love isn't always functional. Just just because you love somebody just because they love you doesn't mean it's functional and healthy. Correct. That is so such a hard lesson learned. Yeah, sometimes we have to agree that we've taken each other as far as we can. And to be able to say, wow, look over the shoulder, look at where we were when we met who we were individually and where we are now. And that can be so beautiful too, to say we have journeyed together in ways that we're both better, but it's time for our journey together to be coming to an end now. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, no more assholes, right? If you keep picking the wrong partner over and over, got to break that pattern. Use that no kissing for three months dating rule and, and overcome the urge to fall into a relationship before knowing who the person is and then making sure you're picking the right partner and then dealing with the triggers that come up. I like to say a relationship is a perfect place to deal with your past because it's like dog training, right? If, if I, I was a dog trainer before I was a people trainer. And so in order to fix a problem, you have to be in the problem. Yes. And I would say, I say this all the time. My 26 year marriage has been the mirror Mm. and many of us. And for a long time, I will say, I did not like what I saw in the mirror. So I would make him wrong. I would be defensive. I would turn away. I would put a sheet over it. I would cover it up. Right. Or I try to put like lipstick all over it to make it shinier and better. But I would say in the last 10 years, more or less, I've really said, it's time to look. 
It's time to look at the shadows and the work that I have been able to do as a human and in relationship to someone who was equally as committed. And that's really the difference equally as committed to doing his shadow work to see where it was that we were missing each other. Because I think ultimately we end up with certain people that we really have all the intentions of like making this incredible life together. And somewhere along the way, things go a little bit haywire. We miss each other. And then for us, I know there was such a history of, we have to pay the bills. This one is sick. This one needs our attention. This one is in a mental health crisis. Uh, I have to work 12 hours. I have to travel. And then when you look at that person, often you don't see them and the love you have as much as you see all the things in between the two of you that have created like this wedge of response and responsibility. So I see sometimes why the affair seems like a wonderful, like scapegoat for a while, because you get to get away from the heaviness of real life and all the responsibility required. Yeah. And so it is important to make your relationship a place that is pleasurable as well. So there's that balance between the pain and the pleasure. And that's where the minimum two kisses a day, minimum five seconds each comes in because it maintains daily intimacy in your relationship. And these are, these are like moments. This is like a minute. It could be 60 seconds that you spend with your partner, holding them, kissing them, stroking their face, saying, I love you before you separate for the day, right? This, these 60 seconds where you get that kiss in and that tenderness, it, it, travels throughout the day it bridges the gap and it bridges the gap if you can't hit the bedroom because again we're talking about work and kids and responsibilities and the bedroom sex can take a back seat to that because we're tired our bodies are aging the hormones are whacking out um, the stress right the fatigue it takes all this libido away and we feel more and more distant. We start acting like coworkers and roommates instead of a couple. And so having those minimum two kisses a day, the chemicals that are produced, right? That, that heightened oxytocin and serotonin um, and dopamine, and you're adding the phenylethylamine, which is the kiss chemical, um, creating the aphrodisiac amphetamine antidepressants, right? I like, I dose my husband. I, to me, my kisses are his daily medicine. Oh, I love this reframe. That is so beautiful. I'm going to I'm going to take that one. That is so mm-hmm. beautiful. I love that so much. Oh, dispense it far and wide. Oh, and I love also I love your your ownership of it, right? Because I I see a lot of women say well, I want him to do the thing. I want him to grab me. I want him to touch me. And not that we don't want that and desire that, but there's something really powerful as a woman to say, I'm leading my man. I'm leading this relationship. I'm creating the energy that I want to feel. I will never forget when I was in my Christian phase and and no disrespect at all. I mean, I was raised in Christianity, but I've moved away from it quite a bit, but I will never forget an incredible pastor about 20 some years ago saying, what you are craving most in your relationship, instead of waiting for the person to do it for you, you do it in the relationship. You bring that energy. You bring that thing that you're really wanting and and get that energetic flowing. And I remember thinking like, wow, I never was raised to believe that. I was raised to believe like, from the fairy tales, I suppose that they should read my mind. They should, if they really loved me, they would know what I wanted right now, as opposed to, oh, I can switch up the entire dynamic right now by bringing what I need. So if I, if I want him to hug me, what if I hug him, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm wanting to go for a walk with, without our devices and have beautiful conversation rather than dreaming about him offering that as a suggestion, what about I offer that as a suggestion? What about I'm the one who leads with the intimacy? There's so much opportunity and that's what you're doing um, from where I stand and what I'm hearing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You have to take scorekeeping out of the equation. I initiated affection X number of times. Now I'm going to stand back and wait for them to initiate affection. You have to take a scorekeeping out of the equation. And by the way, everything that we're talking about is what you do with a generous long-term thinker who loves you. Because as far as I'm concerned, like functional relationship tools do not work with a dysfunctional person. I completely agree with you. And that's a really important differentiation. It really is. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because my husband and I, we are, we moved into our new home about four weeks ago and we have so many workers here doing a multitude of things. And there was a miscommunication on one particular item. I said, I approved something that he was like thinking we had moved away from. And when the process was getting underway yesterday, we had a convergence in the room as I'm coming around the corner between meetings and he is in front of all of the workers. And it was this moment of like, I, I took that off the plan. We decided, I, I, we decided we weren't doing that, forgetting there was a conversation that we put it back in. And it was... It was the first time in a long time there was this rub of energy and it was an obvious tension, right? And so I said, then, then we'll just take it off the plan. Then you guys take this, take all the protection down and let's in the kitchen and let's just, we're not going to do that part. And I walked out of the room and within minutes he came in and he grabbed me and he said, oh my God. I'm so sorry. I think the stress of everything that's going on, I let the moment get the best of me. And he said, I have to remember we're Bonnie and Clyde. We're in this together. You're my partner in crime. We're on the same team. And 10 years ago, that would have been very different. I'd be like, no, I told you, don't you remember on Thursday, we were sitting in that such and such room. I said, we weren't doing that part of the construction anymore. We would have gone tit for tat to remember like who said what, when, but it was just this moment of like, oh my gosh, we're on the same team. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful and it was so simple and it felt so tender. And then it was like, where I said, no, babe, it's no big deal. We don't actually need to do that to the kitchen ceiling anyways. He's like, no, but you like it, don't you? Let's do it. And so guess what? With the kitchen ceiling thing ended up getting done yesterday anyway. <laughs> and do you know what? That would have been so different. A, a good man never leaves a feeling of gratitude, go unrewarded. What you, what you and I brought to the relationship is the word humble. Mm right? Like, like we brought the ability to take our ego and go, I don't need to be right. I don't need to be right. And when we do that with a good man, good men are generous long-term thinkers. And they, they, when all they want is recognition and gratitude and reciprocation, that's all they want from us. And when we show them that, and we create gratitude inside of them, they're like, what can I do for her? It's so true. That's the biggest thing. And I missed that when I was younger, right? It was more my focus was on the ways he was failing or not showing up in the family or for me. And that's not an energy that's real enjoyable to be around where you feel like you can never succeed, that nobody ever sees the goodness. That's that nagging energy, that baby princess who saw the cup as half empty rather than all that was poured into it. And that's been a life changer for me to shift my energetic and how I see things. Yeah. When we are in the baby princess mode, the ego mode, the the scorekeeping, standing back, read my mind mode, what we are emanating is energetic BO. Yes. And you don't want to be close to somebody who has BO. No, it's so true. I love that analogy. Absolutely. It is very repellent, isn't it? There's nothing that feels like I want to cozy up to that and just inhale it and be. Um, No, I completely agree with that. And so we put ourselves in that funk. He should read my mind. He should come approach me. I'm right. And, And then we further our funk because it's not working for us. Yes, it really is. And you know, what's fascinating, and this is something we've talked about over the last several years, is how we used to operate. We sometimes compare and contrast like where we are now, which is so gooey and tender, which I actually thought as a younger woman, that would be repulsive. To him, that he wouldn't, that it would be dependency. But there's a big difference between this gooey, yummy space that we're in now that is so mutual as a as compared to women that I was using as examples that I saw it not work for, who were like overly like, uh, like more of that clingy energy that the man did not want. So I mixed it all up and thought, well, if I'm overly tender, overly vulnerable, that will be rep- a repellent. It will push him away. And in fact, now he says like for mother's day, the other day, something I said many years ago, I told him exactly what I want every single mother's day. I want a love letter. Mm. I want a handwritten love letter from him and each child. And they've been doing it for well over. I can't even count like well over a decade now. And he said to me the other day, he's like, babe, 
do you know how like beautiful and easy you made it when you finally just told me? Otherwise he was trying to guess and doing all these things and like the jewelry or the flowers, which were all great and beautiful, but we're really not tapping into what my heart so desired. And it took the queen in me to say, you know what I really, really desire to have on Mother's Day? I just want handwritten letters from all of you. That's what I want. That's what I'm craving. That's what I'm desiring. And it made his job so much easier. He gets like a hundred percent every time because now he knows exactly what it is that my heart is desiring. And he says all the time, like when you speak your, your desires and your wishes, and you bring me that kind of vulnerability, it's the best feeling, Amanda, because it really sets me up to be so successful in this relationship. And some people will say, oh, but it's not romantic then. And I believe the opposite. I believe it is the most beautiful romantic thing. When you say, this is what I desire and the other person can meet you on it rather than craft what they think you desire to say, oh, okay, absolutely. That's love. Mm -hmm. That is love. I hear you. And I want to fulfill that for you. Yes. Are you a words of affirmation person? I am. Yeah. Same here. I got the love letters too. There is, you know, yeah, for, for a couple of years, um, you know, when, cause my husband and I fought for a long time and, uh, we got married, it was a leap of faith and, um, because we were still fighting. Uh, so we took a leap of faith and we got married after our last breakup, you know, as, as part of like our healing, um, I asked him for a few love letters and, and little notes. He would write me, I'd ask him to write me a little note if he left for work and I was sound asleep and I didn't get a kiss. And I, you know, waking up to that empty house felt so empty, but waking up, knowing there was a note on the counter, there was like a certain joy to waking up. So I absolutely get the love letter thing. I love that. You know, you just reminded me of something that was really sweet. I forgot that he did for many. I think this is where the love letter thing came back when we were newly married, pre crazy life with all the kids. And he used to leave little post-it notes because he traveled so extensively. He would leave he'd make like a stack of 20 of them and leave them in the most random places. And I would find them throughout the week while he was gone. And I just remember that feeling of like, even though we were apart, it just felt like such a sweet, like heart connection mm -hmm. that he took the time and effort and hid them all over the house for me to find was such, I forgot all about that. Wow. Until you just said that. Is he words of affirmation too? What's his love language? His is, a, well, yes, and physical touch. He really needs a lot of like physical touch, which I had to learn because I was not an overly affectionate person. And when I learned like me being next to him, but not putting my hand on his leg or wrapping my legs on top of his felt like I was uninterested in him. Oh my gosh, it changed everything. I'm like, oh, wow. But his ego, his like, I don't want to be so vulnerable, didn't allow me to know that for a long time. So when I stopped doing, we did it when we were so newly for us, at least we were so crazy in love. We couldn't even like sit on the, we had to sit on one chair together. It was absurd for like the first couple of years, but then life happened. We got further apart. We got busier and you know, in the last 10 years, as we've like reconstructed our marriage, because I filed for divorce 12 years ago, I was like, I'm done. I feel so emotionally disconnected. It feels like I've been in the, traveling the desert on my knuckles and my knees for far too long. And I, I, I don't have anything left in here. Um, so we completely react, like excavated our marriage and came to the draw back to the drawing board of like, what was it? Like, what was it in the beginning? that even brought us together? What was it you love the most? What do you miss the most? What are you craving? What are you desiring? But it took like massive tears and like snot coming out of my nose vulnerability and like admitting things that were so hard to admit about my childhood that were reminiscent in our marriage. And it took all of that for us to get to this place of like, wow, I see now how that one little infraction, that one little behavior, what I think is nearly nothing feels so devastating for you. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that reminded you of when your father left mm. Been carrying that for 15 years. I never knew now I know. Right. And so it got to change the way he could show up. And I got to express what I really needed, um, in ways where before I thought, no, just tough it out. Amanda, you've got this, you can handle it. But in reality, I needed so much. And I was so scared to say that I did. Mm. Yeah. Fear right? Fear. Never let fear Absolutely. dictate your fears. 
Yeah. It was the fear of vulnerability. It was the fear of like, if I really show somebody this side, which I deemed then as weakness, like, how could I not have worked through this? That was, I was a 10 year old girl when that happened. How am I still carrying this? So I, there was so much shame around still carrying old messaging that I hadn't fully healed yet. And that I was projecting onto the marriage that I felt ashamed that I'm a grown ass woman. And that part of me is still so tender. How is this possible? Mm. And I didn't want anybody to know. Right. Aren't we so stoic mm. when I started crying and, and, you know, I say, you're not listen, there's crying and there's crying. And when you get to this, the point in your life, and a lot of us need to get to this point where we release being stoic and we start letting go of the emotions that we stuff down with every stoic, no, not now moment. And when they start coming up, I say, look, you're not crying unless you're down on all fours, looking like a dog throwing up. Yeah. I love this. It's so true. I trained under Mama Gina. I don't know. Have you read, do you know Mama Gina who wrote the book Pussy? No. Oh, life-changing in so many ways, Uh, really about the divine feminine energy and from how we for 2000 years as women have been shamed in so many ways around our bodies and the reclamation of every aspect of ourselves as these supreme, beautiful, incredible beings. Um, but one of the things that she teaches when we, I was, she talks about it in her book, but I got to spend a lot of time with her on retreat, um, in an intimate retreat in Mexico, a couple of years ago. And we spent what she calls swamping. Um, and we spent six hours in one particular day swamping. And it is really like tapping into those emotions that have been stuffed and pushed forever that are keeping you from the relationships you desire the most, right. That are like that roadblock. And so we swamped for six hours and it was a room full of 200 women writhing on the floor, ripping clothes off, screaming, howling, vomiting in buckets, like everything, the amount that we have carried generationally, ancestrally in our bodies and our nervous systems. And it interferes with the love that we so deserve. It interferes for the love reaching our hearts because we're so jaded, blocked, angry, rageful, hurt, distrustful. Yeah. Um, I, I, I use a lot of metaphors in my work. And when we take those emotions and we stuff them down, it's like we are a glass of water. And that glass can only hold so much. And every negative emotion is water in the glass. And good emotions is the air between the water and the top of the glass. Mm-hmm. And we, we get full when we're so stoic. And we have to start pouring the water out, releasing those emotions so we can create space for good emotions to feel them. Absolutely. And I really think I was talking to someone this morning um, who's doing some, you know, not so preliminary. I know there's some already, but research around the way emotions that get stuffed and held in, I think you and I are are very aware of this, but I think it's slowly like the general public is starting to understand the connection that those stuffed emotions come out in our body through symptoms, Mm -hmm. right. Worst being cancer or heart attack death. Right. But even like things I said to my son, my 21 year old son, I was taking him to the airport this morning. He was home briefly. And he said, mom, I've got these, like these like little high V itchy things on my finger. And he struggled before with some food allergies that have for the most part been cleared. But I know he doesn't always have like the squeakiest clean diet as most 21 year old boys probably don't. And so I said, honey, the way I want you to think of it, every time you see like a hive or something itchy or a bump or a patch of dry skin on your body, I want you to look at it and think, what are you telling me? What message are you giving me right now? Because that your body is is so beautifully designed. It's signaling you that something's off balance, Mm -hmm. that maybe you need more water. Maybe you need more sleep. Maybe you need less beer. You know, maybe you need less parties (laughs) and like pay attention. But I think so many of us have that disconnect that we don't even understand that the way that we treat our bodies and even emotionally, the way that we stuff and don't feel and numb with alcohol or numb with food or numb with snarkiness or Netflix or over shopping we just stuff and stuff and stuff. And then I'm always fascinated when people are like, I've got these like seven different ailments and I'm on all these different medications to manage them. And I'm thinking, Oh, if I could just work with you for a few months, it'd be astounding. What is possible if we started to release and tap into all that you're stuffing emotionally into your body? Yes, I agree. I have specific tools 
Mm. That helped me get to zero fights in my relationship. Meditation to shrink my amygdala, reduce my fight or flight, which is stress, fear, and anxiety, which is what we vomit into the relationship when our amygdala is overactive. Choosing silence mm. as, as a communication tool to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. I have a conversation flow chart with my thoughts. If it's positive, I say it. If it's negative, I don't. If it's a problem, I ask myself, am I the solution? Instead of going to him and saying, fix me, I got to go look in the mirror, say, what am I going to do for me? What are tools that you teach? My tool is really the community. I teach what's called the communication of the queen. So it's essentially when I'm feeling like we're, we're in this rough spot as like, we're clearly struggling to align, agree, see things on the same page, which isn't necessarily doesn't have to always be the final goal that we agree on everything. I'm not interested in that being the solution, but when something feels like when I feel hurt or I feel so misunderstood, or he's really wanting this, when I'm over here, wanting this completely opposite thing, especially big decisions in family or lifestyle, um, or, and obviously, you know, things that come up in the world, um, even raising a black son and in the, the conversations in the last couple of years around beliefs around how do we raise a black son in a white supremacist society. Um, and there's different viewpoints from a white father, right. And a, a white mother, um, because I think white men have experienced so little othering. They are kind of at the top of the food chain. So the, it's, it's harder for them to reach to the compassion or put myself in someone else's shoes because they haven't even ever had to for, for more or less most of their lives. So there's different ways of approaching it. So when we come to really big impasses, like how we're going to decide on something, what I, the approach that I've always taken is we need to talk. I really, I love you so much. I love us. I love our family this just, it hurts right now that we are in such a disarray and how we're going to solve for this. So let's, and I, for us, we always have to sit down. I'm like, so I don't want to do it over the phone. I want to do it face to face. Let's sit down. And I want to hear, like I, we talk, I, I kind of put the problem on the table. Like this is clearly the issue. Mm-hmm. And do you agree? Do you, is there anything else you want to add to that? And he'll be like, yeah, well, I also think this is a piece of the issue. Right. And then, so we'll agree on, okay, this is, so we're clear. This is the issue that we're struggling with. Yes, it is. Okay do we agree that we still like really want the best interest for each other, for this family, for the team that we're both batting for? Yes, of course. How can we find our way through this issue together? Because ultimately what I want, babe, I want you to be happy, but I also need to feel happy as well on this. I need to feel that we've arrived at a good solution. And so I approach it in that kind of a way. And I also, you know, he is more the has been for most of our lives, like really out forward facing in regards to leading the family in the financial aspect of our life. And I've been, while still working, more leading the family dynamics, if you will, the emotionality of the family. And so I said to him several years ago, in the same way, I don't question the direction and all the times we've moved for your business. I don't question that leadership. I really need you to trust. It doesn't mean you're not going to say a few things or question, but overall trust that the integrity and direction of our family's emotional like health is in my, is like my highest standard. And when I am really clear that these are decisions that need to be made, I need you to trust that you've married a woman who really knows the direction she's taking the the family in regards to the emotional status. So we also came to this like mutual respect. Like there's pieces that you're going to lead with, and I'm going to just really trust unless something feels off that this is your wheelhouse and this piece is my wheelhouse. And there, that's really beautiful to arrive at that place where we get to just trust that each other has the interest of the entire family at heart, the best interest. Yeah. I love that because it's a partnership and a partnership is where you each bring your strengths. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know some people can't stand the analogy of like, this one's the CEO and this one's the COO. And I love it. I get like so turned on by the energy because we consider ourselves a power couple. We are no doubt the Bonnie and Clyde. We've done some real scrappy shit in our lives. And I'm like turned on by the energy of like, we make this whole thing function because we're a little scrappy because we are 
you know, I, because we're willing to come back to figuring out like, what is the best way forward for all of us? I just, I, I don't take offense whatsoever. I'm like, Oh, I'm honored to be the COO of this family. Yeah. I, I have people who are like, who wears the pants? I'm like, we both wear pants. Oh yes. Like, like here's the thing. Um, I, I I think part of our strength, I, I, I don't know how many men are listening to this. Um, go do something else while I say this. Um, but honestly, I think part of our strength as a strong, powerful woman is giving them the impression they're in charge. It's an, it's a ninja mind trick. It is a ninja mind trick. Um, my, my husband's in charge, right? <laughs> but he dares not wear his shoes in the house. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. My husband's in charge. We're not, we're, we're you're right, honey. We're not going to do the, the extra expense on the kitchen ceiling. You're mm-hmm. right. Next thing I know, the kitchen ceiling is being done. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so, you know, like, like <clears throat> there's the word let, and I kind of don't like the word let in a relationship because it implies parent-child dynamic. Um, But I, I let, you know, like, like your husband takes the lead financially. This is, this is something that you let them do. I let my husband make those financial decisions, Um, you know, and, and I'm fine to follow him. In fact, I just, I, I had this revelation recently for months and months and months because, you know, my business is thriving. I can do anything I want to do. I can go anywhere I want to go. And, and I, I was asking myself, what do I want? What do I want? And I'm, I'm really good at answering that question, except in this case, mm-hmm. it was difficult. And I couldn't figure out where I wanted to go because what do I want was like, where do I want to build a house? That was what I was centering on. Where do I want to settle myself? Where in the world do I want to be since I can financially go anywhere I want to, build any life I want to? Where, where do I want? And I was stumping on it. And it took this weekend being high on ecstasy. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever it takes. Crouching on my bathroom floor, just watching TikToks, crouching on my bathroom floor. Don't ask me why. But uh, I was doing that and I asked myself, what do I want? And then I heard it. I want to be with my husband. Mm -hmm. That was the answer that came. And it just instantly soothed my soul. And I knew it was the truth. And I knew it was all I needed to know. Mm -hmm. And and I went to my husband and I said, baby, I know what I want. He didn't know I was struggling with this question. I just just popped this out of the blue. I said, baby, I know what I want. He goes, what? I said, I want to be with you. And he just laughed at me because I'm goofy like that. But it's I, I don't care where I am at the end of the day. I want to be with him and I'm willing to let him lead where we're going to end up because that's his wheelhouse and he needs to be in charge of that. He, he, he needs to design his destiny and I can work anywhere in the world I want to. He has children here and this is a big part of his decision, right? He said to me yesterday, he said, you know, he's talking about his son and and his daughter. And he said, I have to look after them. I'm the one who brought them into this shitty world. So he wants to stay physically close to them. I absolutely, I've always respected his parenting. And I'm glad I came to that conclusion that I was just willing to be with him wherever he decided to be. Um, Shortly after he let me know, we're staying here. We're not going anywhere. And, you know, I would love to have a house in Costa Rica, but do you know what I'll do? I'll just keep booking retreats in Costa Rica and I'll just. Yes, that's what a queen does. A queen's like, okay, this is the situation at hand. And temporarily, that doesn't mean forever because children go off and make their own way in the world and probably won't be living there anyways. So it's like for this short term period. I will just host retreats all over Costa Rica so I can really identify the place that I want to eventually have a home there. It's like we get to make these beautiful situations out of what could initially be felt in the baby princess mode as a defeat, a rejection, uh, a closed door. It's not in your own way. Yes, exactly. 
not getting our own way. And it's just, you know, it's, I love the redefine, right? I'm not disappointed that we're not selling everything and moving to Costa Rica. I'm happy to be, this is a gorgeous property. We live on six acres in the country. It's, we have a huge garden in the front. People literally stop and take pictures of our garden. We've, we've had a wedding on our property. We've got another one coming next year. And, and so there's, there's no reason to leave this behind. I, I was torn about leaving this, to be honest. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice for me to say, you know what, I'm okay to settle here. And I'm also okay to go wherever I want to go when I want to go. Mm, yes, yes, yes. That's the best of both worlds. Yeah. And in the right relationship, you have that freedom. I say a healthy relationship has freedom. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I am someone who needs some time away, probably a couple of times a year. And it's usually quite honestly, it's usually on a retreat, you know, because I'm like that self-development junkie. I can never get enough. Um, but that's just not in his wheelhouse or his desire. It's not to say it won't be someday, but he's like, babe, that's something you love and crave and need. I go and do that. And I always encourage him and, you know, you go do the things or go book a fishing trip with the guys or a golfing trip. He's like, I'm on the road so much that when I'm home, all I want is to be home. So Mm -hmm. his desire or need for that is different than mine. So I've had women say to me before, like, I'm really craving time to get away. Because, you know, often, especially women who are at-home moms who never get to break out of that, they feel the need to get away. And, but then they'll say to me, but I, I just feel so guilty. I feel so bad. My husband never does. And I'm like, you can't assume that your needs and desires are the exact same as his let share with him. You know, I just had a retreat here in Miami a couple of months ago, and there were three women in particular who didn't even tell their husbands. We'd, they'd been in a six month mastermind with me. Their husbands knew that part, but they didn't tell them that it culminated in a retreat in Miami for a few days until the very end. And they were scared shitless to tell them. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, he never goes away. I'm so worried. He's going to think X, Y, or Z. I'm like, oh my gosh, give him the benefit of the doubt. Share with him. First of all, it's not just, Hey, I'm going to Miami for a few days with this group of women, explain to him the why, but share it from the deepest, most tender place of your heart. It's very hard for someone to be defensive around the longings of someone's heart that says, you know, I've been a part of this program and this is the big end of the celebration. All of us are going to meet for the first time. There are very few men who are going to be like, you're absolutely, that's just crazy. You're not going. And just because he doesn't desire to get away with the guys doesn't mean it's not important for you and that it's not valuable or worthy for you. It doesn't have to look exactly the same. Mm. I think it's very important that we maintain our independence while oh. in relationship. We are each individuals in a relationship. We need to live our life because we need to be happy. Our greatest contribution to a relationship is our own self-induced satisfaction and happiness. Absolutely. And I think in partnership, I think that's when, if it's not a codependent relationship, when we are feeling like there's a little bit of room to breathe, we're not smothered when the other person has their own individual things that they enjoy and they like, and they're thriving in. And then it's so fun to have the things that you can come together on and share, whether it's like on an evening or a weekend or, you know, in some way, shape or form, it's so fun to have the commonality, but I love, I mean, if I didn't have my independence, it would be hard for me to stay in marriage because, you know, it would feel archaic and outdated if I was controlled in any way, shape or form. Amen. (laughs) I cannot do that. (laughs) Yeah. So what is the easiest way for a woman to make her man happy? Mm, The easiest way for a woman to make her man happy, I think is to not play for me to not play the guessing games, to just like serve it on a silver platter. Like, baby, this is what I so love. Or, oh my gosh, last night when you did that thing, I just, oh my gosh, not in the energy that's like, you did a really good job. It really, you know, that's that parenting dynamic. It's more like, oh my gosh, that was like such a turn on when you did that. Or when I watched you, you know, an example for like, my, one of our dogs passed away a couple of months ago and I happened to be running a retreat. I was not there. My husband didn't tell me until my retreat was over, but when he explained to me how he took our 15 year old dog after he died, he carried him up into the shower 
My husband put on like his swim trunks, got in the shower and he gave him one final bath for his dignity before he called our vet to have him cremated. And he's like, I mean, I just couldn't let him leave the house the way he was because he had like, you know, released himself. And so he's crying. He's telling me that. And I was crying. And then I saw him like two days later and I embraced him and I said, Oh my gosh, like, I love you so much, but you sharing that with me, I felt 10,000 times more in love with you that to know that you ushered our dog out of this world with so much grace and so much dignity. My God, you're such an amazing man. Like, I didn't just think it, I told him and it brought us so much closer. We were in Paris, or not in Paris, we were in London a couple, like last week. And he was saying something, reflecting something back to me about my business. And I stopped and I got up out of my seat in this beautiful like restaurant where everyone's very reserved. I got up and I like sat on his lap and I grabbed his cheeks and I'm like, oh my God. Thank you so much for seeing like the depth of my mission. Thank you, babe. It makes me feel so amazing that you get it. You get how deep this work is. And like where the old me would have thought it and been like, oh, wow, he really does get it. But I would have played it cool. Mm -hmm. I wanted him to know how much it meant to me because I thought that's what the cool girl did, right? But this time I was like a blubbering idiot and I was so emotional. I grabbed his cheeks and I kissed him and I got on his lap and I was like, oh my God, I just love you so much. And that feels so much better than the the stoic woman who's reserved and wants him to think I've got it all pulled together and I don't need to be overly emotional. It's so much better. (laughs) Well, they appreciate, like men are emotional. Like, you know, you and I both know, like, little boys cry more than little girls. And then they're shut down as they grow up. And, you know, it's, it's so healing for them when we give them the space to be their emotional selves. And I love how you said you're a good man, because that's one of the keywords that I have my women use because good men are making a point of being a good man. And so when you use those words, you're such a good man. I'm so proud of you. You're such a good dad. You work so hard. When you say out loud the efforts that they're doing and you acknowledge it out loud, they are recognized. They feel recognized. They feel seen. And they're, again, here's that word, grateful to you because you see the efforts that they make. And a grateful man will do even more. It's so very true. Oh my gosh. It is so true. I just, and the way like to be able to say, I love the way you care for me. I love the little things that you notice, you know, where before I kept it all in. Now I verbalize, I just verbalize it all. And it's incredible. And I think that's how that really sets him up to feel successful. And it makes him feel like, because he always says to me, babe, really like my number one job that how he feels. This is him individually, not for all men. I'm not generalizing, but he's like, babe, for me, my sign of success in life is your happiness. That's like, a man. That's you know, men. That's men. Yeah. yeah. They strive for it. Do you know why? why? There's an evolutionary purpose to it. Mm, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, so, uh, these, we talked about the muscles that crinkle up beside your eyes when you smile, right? Men are coded in their subconscious to seek our smile, to seek seeing these muscles and they light up his brain. They give him a reward when we smile and the evolutionary purpose of that is our emotions trickle down to the child. And the child thrives under love and care and attention and affection. And if we're not in a good place, we are not aiding the thriving, the survival of the child. So you think about early homo sapien, you know, survival hung by a thread. And so our happiness was important to our partners because we co-parented together. We would, we would uh, pair bond, right? We're not monogamous by nature, but we would pair bond for the sake of creating and raising and ensuring the survival of the child. And yes, as far back as forever, our men, our partners have sought our happiness to ensure the survival of the species. 
Oh, that makes so much beautiful sense. Oh my gosh. I love this. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we like to think we've evolved so far beyond those pieces, but it's so helpful to reflect back and realize like, okay, this really makes so much sense for the species to continue the ways that there are just some fundamental pieces in our functioning that are different as man versus woman. And I know lots of people get up in arms about that, but I do, I find beauty in it. I find beauty in the complementary ways that we are able to serve and show up for one another. Ah, I love that word serve. I do. I am of service to my husband. I do it with pride. I love feeding him. Okay. To be honest, I make breakfast and I have someone else cook lunch and dinner, but I'm waiting for that person to cook them lunch and dinner. I make sure it's super healthy meals because I want them to live forever. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. That's so, I love this. And I know service is a, is a hard word for some women to get behind. And I understand in the context of like, you know, especially the Bible, like there are different ways that the word service can be used. When I think of serving my clients, I am in service to these incredible, phenomenal women that I feel privileged that they trust me with their most intimate parts of their life. I feel the honor and privilege of the service that I can provide. And so I don't, and I feel like I'm in service to my family. You know, I did a TikTok the other day and there were some women who were not thrilled because I talked about being um, the privilege of being the leader in my family for the emotional dynamics of the family. And some women felt like, oh my gosh, you're just putting even more work on women. I'm like, well, I, I really feel somebody, mm-hmm. somebody has to have the emotional, like direction for the family. Doesn't mean that everyone's going to get on board. Doesn't mean everyone's going to have emotional success all throughout their journey. And no one in my family has, but somebody, one of the adults in the room has to take leadership on teaching emotionality and guiding and showcasing and, and modeling that. And to think that that that's putting more on women. I'm like, Oh no, I see it as a privilege. Mm -hmm. I see this as such a privilege that I have brought children into the world. I made that decision. They did not. And I get to guide them to the best of my ability. Doesn't mean I'll always be successful or good at it, but to the best of my ability, I see that as such an honor, such one of the honors of my lifetime. Yeah. I love this. Amanda, I love you. Oh, I love you. I'm so happy we found each other. (laughs) We got some soul sister energy going on here. Absolutely. We have so much in common. We, we understand so much. I love having these conversations with you. What are we going to talk about next time? I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't know. (laughs) I got it. Okay. Yes. Let's do sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That'll be a really good one. Okay. (laughs) I can let you lead this conversation if you want to do that. I would be happy to. Oh, I, oh, I love this. I love this. My people love you. This this is going to be so much fun. Okay. Let's do this again. We're going to schedule another chat. We're going to talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. 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 I'm going to find out your naughty side. This is awesome. Mm, Should I come in costume? (laughs) Oh, should we? We should for some inspiration. What's the theme? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but. How about maybe a little kink? Okay, I can do that. I can touch a kink. Okay, touch a kink. Let's set up a date. Okay, I love you. Amanda, thank you so much. Tell us again where people can find you. Yes, amandahanson.com is most perfect. That's my website. On TikTok and Instagram, I am at Midlife Muse. I love this. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate you so much. Likewise, sister. Thank you. Bye. Bye.